0: Thank you.
1: a big warg to all of you space burgers out there nestled in next to a warm cozy fire take your troubles off set them aside just enjoy it's nice safe comfortable space to just feel at ease getting a little chilly out there not in here nice and warm fire crackling enjoy it welcome inside now, let's check in with a citizen of planet
2: Earth.
1: Daniel Alberto, how are you?
2: I'm great. How are <laughs> you doing, David?
1: Good. I forgot to ask you in our, in before we started, if you prefer to mm-hmm. just go by Daniel, or do you uh, want to be, what what's the best for you?
2: I guess um, oh, Daniel, because, um, well, for the time being, I'm unofficially retired because of what's going on with the covid and so until like everything's back to normal like well i'm just unofficially retired at the
1: <laughs> okay and then uh you <clears throat> you had said that you wanted to talk about teaching during the pandemic which i have some familiarity with uh mm-hmm. and my sister did that but every district was different and every mm-hmm. school itself probably every classroom was different. So first of all, what were you teaching? And then two, how do you feel having done that?
2: So I work for a nonprofit company called Think Together, and they collaborate with them, lower income school districts, like working class and lower income school districts um, to provide um, kind of like an after school program for, well, basically, parents who have to work um, or don't have anyone to pick their kids up as soon as the bell rings. So when the pandemic happened back in March um, you know, everything was shut down for like a few weeks. And then um, we went digital with like our lessons and like providing things for the kids instead of them just going stir crazy from going (laughs) inside. And it wasn't until um, my screen frozen.
1: That's okay. I can still hear you fine. Okay.
2: And it wasn't until um again in I'd say around last October 2020 that we started to go back into the classroom. So rather than being after school, it would be like when it was regular school time from seven to two thirty, we would have um just a limited number of spots, like twelve, and we had two groups and so we basically had to facilitate um, that they were going to class and helping with their schoolwork and making sure everything was sanitized and they had their masks and a lot of, um, cause a lot of their parents were um, essential workers and some of them just couldn't have anyone look after them. So rather than it being after school, it was, we were doing it during school. Um, so the like, 24 students had the opportunity to be in a classroom and, you know, go to their classes regularly without having to worry about who's going to watch them or that their parents don't have to worry if they got their work done. And yeah. And it isn't until this school year that we came back in person.
1: And then what, uh, well, that, first of all, that sounds like a very necessary resource for, I know everyone was so worried that like the disparity between the haves and the have-nots was going to be so pronounced because, you know, children who had or, or did not have internet, internet access were going to be mm-hmm. dramatic impacted dramatically differently. And so just you offering them the ability to be a part of school and have the necessary means to do that, it sounds like it wasn't so much like a subject you were teaching uh, I'm sure you did. Like, I'd like to hear more about that. But two, it was more about just like giving them a place to be and the access to go to school and do it safely.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily what well, used to have a teacher because everyone used to call me a teacher, but there's the difference, and I feel like there should be some respect given to the title of being a t- teacher. So I'm more of an educator because I work in the field of education, Versus the teacher, you know, they get their credential, then they go to school specifically for that. Um, so, yeah, so um, I know people call me a teacher, like the parents or the students call me a teacher, but um, when I describe myself, I describe myself more than educator mm-hmm. rather than a teacher out of respect for those who are actually teachers.
1: I know how that feels when I was uh, a sub that, you know, there was a little bit of gray Mm -hmm. area, whether, you know, like you're a teacher or you're a substitute teacher. And so when I had long-term gigs and, or like when I taught summer school, Mm -hmm. then I felt okay. Like, yeah, I am their teacher. They know no one else to stand in front of them. Whereas normally Mm -hmm. they have a teacher and then, and I'm sure if someone's subbing listening right now, especially if they have a credential or like a lot, you know, a lot of people that teach for a long time when they get out of it, they just sub to still be around it. So they are bonafide mm-hmm. teachers but someone like me that I never was like a student teacher I didn't go to school for it I just knew enough math that I could teach math and uh so I guess in you know that that qualifies as being a teacher but being around mm-hmm. it like you were talking about like how did you get into that sort of program because it sounds so vital when I was a sub you know whenever that would come up everyone had their their input. And I always felt everyone was wrong because they weren't around it. And when you're around it, you feel like, oh, we just need more people contributing. Whether that's an hour here and there after school, like once a week, if people could mm-hmm. just be around. And so the teachers weren't quite so outnumbered. So something like what you're doing sounds incredibly useful. How'd you get, uh, you know, involved in something like that?
2: Well, um, growing up, I was always a part of like after school programs. Um, And then when, but they were, they were like a little more informal and casual. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really a specific like structure to them. It was like, okay, homework, then we go out and play on the playground and then we get our snack. And then we wait for our parents to pick us up. Um, But it wasn't until I was in high school because at that time, Think Together was already established in a lot of the regions in Southern California. And it came to, or it was already at my high school. And so it, in like high school and middle school, it's more clubs versus like a, like a set schedule. And so um, I just liked the fact that they had clubs and it was just like, um, yeah, it, it it was a lot better than just being at home doing nothing and yeah, I just felt like there was a club that I really liked, which was uh, cooking and I very much was involved with that. And so from there, I was like one of theirs. Um, when I was in my senior year of high school, I was um, part of their student leadership team. And from there, like I won, like i got a scholarship and then pretty much from there, I like I maybe a few semesters in college, I started to, I just applied there and pretty much been working there for a good number of years now.
1: Cool. I like it. I was thinking the, this is a little off topic, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: the the uncertainty you felt with being a teacher or saying that title, saying, no, I'm, I'm, you know, an assistant, I'm an educator, I'm some other title that's not teacher, which is uh, reserved for those who, you know, are doing lesson plans and standing in front of a class, whatever. Uh, thinking of, like, cooking How we in long ago going to school, maybe they did or did not teach it because they'd be like, well, every every child is learning this at home. You have to help cook every especially thinking of like from kind of a farm existence. You know, Mm -hmm. school was maybe going to happen, but if it was harvest season, you wouldn't be there. And then some of the subjects now that if you told people like that, you taught just cooking, they might go, oh, you're not really a teacher. And you'd be like, What? teaching or cooking such a vital skill and then extrapolating that out a little further that the world is just becoming so digital so to teach computer science or programming or some sort of software engineering that that is something where people go oh wow what a what an ability you have you're definitely teaching something useful but if you taught you know like English or something that down the road they might say like, ah, like we don't really need that anymore. It's not really yeah. that useful. It's a hobby. It's the equivalent of cooking or something. That's that's probably a very illogical set of thinking, but there's something there that's, <laughs> that's kind of uh, intriguing to me.
2: Yeah. The point that you made, I've actually thought of myself, because um, there's this like movie, I forget what it's called. It's like a Disney movie called Tall Tales that um, is about some kid who goes like, I guess he gets whisked away into like the world of like tall tales of like Paul Bunyan and like some other American folklore figures. And like, he learns to admire, I guess, the simplicity, the hard work and whatnot. And I guess it took place during the time of when gas lights like a thing Mm -hmm. um because you're like oh wow the stars so beautiful and whatnot you can never see that with like light bulbs and whatnot so it's like the more advanced we get in terms of like progression and technology the more we stray away from fundamental necessities of like oh cooking everybody should know how to cook oh you can just google how to cook this and that yeah or um oh you can just google how to fix something and it's like you can google things but at the same time those things um come with practice and 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 honing them you can't expect to cook like a turkey perfectly on your first try if you don't practice something like that it's Mm -hmm. like yeah you can google it but then because you're unfamiliar with it it's like it won't turn out um as expected so I I feel I share your sentiments of that even though we're making strides and progression that um in terms of like space travel and, and coding and and computer science we are veering away from other necessities um because now a lot of uh, the common core is college and career ready and but not necessarily um when i was in high school it they didn't really tell us about trade schools it was just like either College or military, not mm-hmm. con- the compromise of a trade school.
1: Yeah, I I thought of a. I'd like to continue this. We'll take it over to the Patreon. But I thought of a better example than English, so we'll continue this there. Well, that was Daniel Alberto, obviously, longtime listener and supporter of the show, a Patreon member as well, and on top of supporting the show. He made knitted hats for me and my life mate and our child. Three wonderful hats that we used all last year during the winter when it was chilly, just like it is now, which is why we've got this fire going in here. Anyway, Daniel is great. Uh, that chat goes on, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you like it as well, getting into some of the... Uh, I don't know, philosophical things behind education, as well as just what it is to be a person and why we do the things we do. How do we uh, try to make things better? I think Daniel is doing that and trying to make things better. And hopefully you can look at yourself in the mirror and say that you, in some way, are as well. Because the world is gonna need it. Um, before we get into the full chat, I just want to say thanks again to everyone who did support the show on Patreon, especially when there weren't. New episodes going up for quite an extended period of time. Um, I was happy to do the show for free for years and years, uh, but the moment I stopped doing it and people were still contributing some funds, I felt kind of guilty. So hopefully I can make that up to you. There will be more Patreon things beyond the extended chat with Daniel. Uh, I will try to add things behind the scenes, etc., as often as I can to make it worth your while. If you'd like to support the show... Uh, That's a great place to do it, patreon.com slash, I think it's either Space Cave or David Huntsberger. If you search either, you'll find it, and great way to support the show, and uh, also get a glimpse into some behind-the-scenes things. Uh, I'll probably talk more about that. At the end of the episode, let's get into it before we get too carried away with Patreon stuff. This this next gentleman uh, is a friend, a comedian, a, a... Someone who's finding his way in life, and you'll hear him talk about that. I've known him since he was, uh, well, you'll hear us talk all about it. Our relationship, the time we've known each other, there's something about him. He's got a little glimmer in his eye when you meet him. You'll like him. Crowds always come over after shows, and you're like, I like that that first guy. I like that Eric guy. He's just got that thing. And so I'm excited to see where his life takes him, because I think he's great. I hope you like him as well. Here's part one. With Eric Lyons. Can see you, but cannot hear you.
3: There we go. Yep. Yep. Nice. Standard
1: nice. Zoom transaction.
3: It's quite the Kaczynski vibes you're giving off there with the, the how, workshop behind how you.
1: How dare you? <laughs> he, he would dream of such a wall. To have behind
3: him. that's uh, This is true. I mean, he, probably, he, <laughs> he... would hate everything about this.
1: Yeah, it's, it's too much stuff. <laughs> it's he, too he, many people. He had a pair of pliers and a bunch of electrical wires and a piece of plywood. It was garbage. This, this is... I,
3: he reached bigger audiences than you have. I don't know. You know? Well, Did he go about it the right
1: way? No. But how do you define his audience reach by the documentaries and things by the his manifesto reaching out through the yeah. newspapers? Yeah, I, I guess feel like a
3: lot of people know about it. Um,
1: yeah, that's true. If you were to pull, but if you pulled most, I bet he and I would pull neck and neck because people know him as the Unabomber. See, I don't have mm-hmm. a cool nickname, but just actual given name versus actual given name because there's the Unabomber
3: that, versus Huntsberger. No, no, no. Uh,
1: Ted Kaczynski versus Oh, yeah, Hansberger. I think people go, "Who's that?" Like in Goodwill Hunting, he asks uh, that brilliant um, mathematician guy, who's Ted <laughs> Kaczynski, and then the bartender knows, "You're a bomber man. man." So I don't know that his. I mean, his reach was enormous. And then since then, did you watch that miniseries in these sites? No, tens-
3: tens- I, I, I didn't. I need to.
1: Yeah, the uh, they had this interview on. I don't know, like a PBS thing or something with the guy from Philadelphia who ended up being sort of the main person who, they developed a thing called forensic linguistics to find him. They they right. narrowed him down from like his manifesto and the language he used. And the guy is from Philadelphia and he's like, oh yeah, where I'm from, people say w- water. And so like, if you hear someone, he's like, so that is a forensics thing from that area. And they kind of applied that, Kaczynski in the miniseries, and they kind of hyped this up a bit, but the guy does reiterate this. He's like, "When I, I don't know that he, I'm missing, I'm crossing some things up now, but in my mind, he met with Kaczynski and I think that might be influenced by the miniseries because in real life, I don't think he ever met with him. But mm-hmm. in the miniseries, he's like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to walk out because your your whole investigation hinders on or hinges on uh, you finding me through forensic linguistics, which isn't recognized. It's not a real thing. And then, so they had to kind of make all these moves to get it approved by a governing board, by a court. Yeah. Pretty fascinating how they, they caught him because it really, re- you know, it's not like they found fingerprints. They didn't find typical incriminating evidence. They found huh. this language that you used in this manifesto was so similar to letters you'd written your brother. That's how he found you.
3: That's so cool.
1: Yeah, because he would have gone on for just – I mean his methods and the way he did it were so kind of antiquated that they didn't sync up with how we would normally go about – he would peel the labels off of batteries and things so that – and who knew that batteries had all this weird like locational data? You can tell the store it was purchased from, the the type. I mean so much stuff just from – if a bomb blows up and they find a label of a battery, they're like, we got
3: you. Yeah, I've always thought that was ridiculous, how they're able to feel like just from the ballistics of what flew out. They're like, we got a piece. We're good.
1: It makes sense, um, though, that like if you and I got into a business and we were selling bags of – like we challenged Nestle quick. We're like, you fat cats <laughs> at Nestle are jerks. We we hand grind our <laughs> cacao powder <laughs> and then we send it out. If we got purchased – picked up by big grocery stores, you have to put on – your bags, all this lot info, it was in this batch on this date from this thing. It went regionally to here so that if they get surveillance footage of someone purchasing that bag and they find that bag in that person's, you know, trash bin at their house, they can say, we know you (laughs) use this credit card to purchase this bag from this batch that locates you. Everything is in some way meant to kind of, uh, place you somewhere.
3: It's too hard to get away with anything these days. You know?
1: <laughs> I love it. And I mean, if someone were like a master criminal now, and not like in a cryptocurrency cyber kind of way, but in a robbing banks or something like the Pink Panthers just showing up and blasting open the like <laughs> brazenly on motorcycles going around the... You know they'll put up those stanchions and stuff. Like you're not driving through here, and they're like, "Don't need to drive." <laughs> they like motorcycle around them, take a sledgehammer, bash out the front window, go in, steal all the diamonds, race away, and then everyone's like, "Oh, we didn't, we didn't think of that." <laughs> <laughs> never old heard of. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a throwback. We what had lasers. We had all these sensitive <laughs> cameras everywhere. We just didn't assume someone would burst through the front door with sledgehammers and get we, us.
3: We honestly forgot we still had a brick and mortar. We thought it had all gone <laughs> online. That's, that's us. That's our bad.
1: <laughs> I was just looking, and this is so strange, the timing, because you and I have been postponing this recording for several days now and talking about mm-hmm. it for several weeks, if not months. And just randomly today, so I'm going through and um, – <clears throat> you've listened to the show. So you know that essentially since the beginning, I have uh, at some point referenced, I'll get around to doing that Instagram, which (laughs) I'm not great at. (laughs) I never do it. And then, so during COVID and the quarantine and everything, and, and especially like not recording, I'm like, well, okay, I, maybe that is a bit of a stretch as far as time goes, but I can do this. I can add little like photos everywhere, but Oh man, the, you gotta grab stuff off of hard drives. You gotta transfer it to different devices, and all the little crap. Like anytime I hit a snag there, I'm like, all right, I'm doing something else. And I'm yeah. just
3: <laughs> there's so many little steps. Yeah. That you have to take to do that.
1: Anyone that is involved in like, oh yeah, send it over. I'm I'm a computer person. All it means one, they're very like proficient at what they do, but two. They have a file structure that's set up. They understand how things get. I'll go and I'll have something in a a photos folder and then I'll go to find it and none of the photos are organized in any way because of the app or whatever platform I'm using. And then I just go, well, that's enough for me. and I just close it up and leave. People that are proficient are like, oh yeah, that's a thing. The algorithm recognizes it this way. So you got to number your files and they know all this stuff where I'm like, "I I don't know that.
3: I'm supposed to be learning that stuff and I'm working on it, but I hate it. <laughs> it's not, it's not for me. I don't, I was doing this project yesterday and all my analysis were going to different places and I wasn't labeling things right. I had to start over because I just didn't follow the, yeah. the instructions. And it's like, Oh great. I have 18 folders in this one project.
1: And then <laughs> yeah, understanding a file hierarchy and a structure. And then think about like, if you have a file in a folder titled images, you're screwed. Like Because you might have an images folder for 40 different things on your computer. So you need to say, this is for this class, which was really this semester of this year, mm-hmm. these images. And then you need to title the image, image from this file that I'm working on that I call this JPEG. And then you're like, oh, yeah. Now if I search for it, I can find it. But otherwise, the, the <laughs> amount of time spent looking through a hard drive going, I know I put it in here. <laughs> I know Way it, too much. It's it's so absurd. And so anyway, you were on, you were the um, like the 10 minute guest. And then I think, I don't even know if Patreon was around at this point, but the episode with Sarah Smalley, uh-huh. uh, Cryobanks. And so she was talking about her family and like reconnecting with all her, or connecting with all her siblings who were from a donor parent, and you and I just walked around the CSU campus and chatted. And I just ha- so what I do is I have like the web page open, so I can see what number it was in the space game. Mm-hmm. and then I can go search through these hard drives and like find this photo. And I just happened to scroll on it ten minutes before we started this very recording. Nice. Yeah, isn't that great? So now I that know. That's great. Because I had that not happened, I would have said. Eric was on the show at some point
3: but now I know
1: it was that (laughs) I don't remember why Uh, (laughs) 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 no we were we were driving we were we were doing a bit of a road trip we went from Boise to Pocatello, and then all the way to Denver doing shows, yeah. Had that awful Pocatello show for me, which yes. was such a bummer <laughs> because it was at a gay bar. And in my head, I had built it up where it was going to be like the show Pose, but in Pocatello, Idaho. It was going to be like glam and balls to the wall, like we're yeah. gay and we're at Pocatello and deal with it. But they were awful. They yeah. were just like vape smoking nonstop and they were not attractive. And I know that's like so negative, but you expect like there's a difference between attracting or attractive and making an effort. When you think of, <laughs> you think of like someone in the Midwest in sweats and sweats in a hoodie, just vaping and chugging, Pictures of Bud Light that doesn't scream gay bar to you.
3: No, but what it
1: does scream is
3: Southeastern Idaho. <laughs> is exactly what you lean too hard into the gay bar without realizing it's Southeast Idaho's only gay bar. Yeah, and it's it really represents Southeast Idaho. Um.
1: And I kind of love that in a way because it you have to go experience it. Everyone is online all the time talking about this is what it is. This is how things should be. When you're a comedian or anyone that has to travel in any way and you get to experience those things, it and and that was us one night. One night at this yeah. bar. So every other night could have been balls to the wall boas and glitter and just <laughs> a, a totally different scene. But what we were seeing was kind of like a oh, uh, let's let's just take a load off and vape a bunch and watch some comedy <laughs> and like not dress up at all. And also be kind of surly and kind of dumb and kind of like speak up when a joke doesn't land with us. And it kind of like a, an unenjoyable crowd. Yes. That was a bummer. Cause I did was- yeah, have it in my head. It was very different.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, I had done the room before. So I sort of, I knew what I was getting into. So I guess it's on me for not being like, "Hey, man, let's let's temper those expectations for no Pocatello way
1: on a Wednesday,
3: or, not on you or at whatever all." It was. We
1: we started we walk through, and the showroom has a feel where you're like, "Yeah, I could see it." I the, mm-hmm. it's known for like its drag contests, and you go backstage, and there are all these framed photographs <laughs> yeah. of the, the dream room. is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it feels like you're backstage at like a pose show so you're seeing like these funny drag names and these posters for upcoming shows and you're seeing boas hanging so you're like when i walk through and it's not like you walk through a door you walk through like hanging streamers to go out onto the stage <laughs> so i wasn't crazy thinking that like
3: this no, is going the to be has the
1: mirrors around it yeah and it has
3: all of that vibe to it but i mean were we wearing any drag or, or costumes no so is that on us Maybe.
1: Maybe. I mean, if we had been a little too drab and the crowd was like, honey, I, that would have been great for me. I'd be like, you're right. I should have dressed up. But yeah, instead, I so. it was like, can you get can you get out of the way? We're, we're trying to watch a, a beanbag tossing tournament on ESPN3. It just had that kind of vibe of like. Uh, this the, the second picture is 50% off, right? That's what it said. <laughs> We're here for the deals. <laughs> We're here for deals. None of it said, like, in my mind, you know, I grew up in Reno. So San Francisco's over the hill. It was where all the cool artsy stuff was happening. And it was also a very gay city. From the outside, you know, like and you're, mm-hmm. when you're from Reno, like you go over the hill and it's just like everyone's gay in San Francisco, <laughs> yeah, you, you get there's just a city, but it's also for me, and this is like my own personal thing, but it was a very artsy, creative, like that when you think of designers and eccentric fashion and things like that, you think of this brain that just operates differently. And it just so happens to have like a sexual orientation That is not, I guess, the norm or whatever you'd call it. And so that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting to see people in Pocatello like, oh, you thought because I was born on a cattle ranch, I'm simple? (laughs) Let me tell you about these slacks. These are, and I'd be like, oh, it was nice. nice."
3: There's nothing artistic about going into Pocatello, though. You drive past the Simplot factory belching smoke and God knows what else into the atmosphere, and then it's Pocatello, and that's what it is. I, yeah,
1: and we were there on kind of a gray day, so it didn't. You yeah. didn't get to. Idaho is beautiful, yes, so much of the time. But when it gets kind of gray and the the fields are kind of dead and not green and luscious, it's not a cool feel because the no. You don't and especially
3: get... any part of Idaho you're going through chances are it's just I84 <laughs> and you're going through the southern farm area where everybody thinks it's the midwest and then it's the rest of the state that's beautiful you just have to go to it.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: but yeah, if you just drive through I84 you're like, "Wow, this is terrible." This yeah. is one of the worst actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we were uh in Romania in 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 Bucharest there was a uh... A lot of gray. And they, they were a communist place uh, for a long time. And the, you, f- you could feel that. You could feel like the kind mm-hmm. of lack of expression. And one of the things that we have in cities, regardless of how big or how progressive or anything like that, is paint splashed on the sides of buildings, whether it's yeah. legal or illegal. We have a lot of murals. We have a lot of humanity Expressing itself, saying, hey, this this alley, if you walk down it, you're going to see a funky visual of something that one of our local artists asked if they could throw up on four stories worth of bricks. And we said yes. <laughs> and that was something you don't really see in Pocatello either. So you're going in with gray kind of dead fields. And then – Eh, we're content with no murals. Like we're, we're not an artsy place. So yeah, we, don't,
3: we don't do that around here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Simplot's using all the paint and the French fries. We can't, <laughs> we can't do art.
1: <laughs> but that trip was so great for me because one, I feel like you and I had definitively this conversation where I said to you, I love when you don't see someone for a few years. And then when you do, they have anything other to say than, oh, you know, same old thing. Yeah. And so I met you as this kind of working at the comedy club, tending bar. Then you were the manager. Then you were like helping with everything like booking and then doing comedy and also doing what everyone in that scene does. And from the (laughs) beginning to the end of time, which is, Oh, the show's over. Let's count our money, dole out our tips and drink as much as we can. And so, and it can be kind of a fun world. It's very like, carefree, and there's not a lot of responsibility, but then you can see yourself. You look up one day, and across the table is sitting from your future,
2: and yes. that person <laughs> is, like,
1: 50 years old, like, oh, so when are we going over to Shooters? And you're like, yeah. no, I can't, I can't <laughs> not go again. To, Not <laughs> again. Not <laughs> again. I don't, don't want to go to Shooters. <laughs> and so it's hard for people to pull themselves out of that. And you were moving to Denver, which was a step, which was a start— and you were like, I don't know if I'm going to go back to school. And we, we walked around CSU and you're like, you know, I miss this. And, and now here you are like back in school in a program. You've, you're not going to shooters. You've like left no. that life. So still doing stand up. So tell me, I know you like text messaged me uh, about it recently, but we didn't really fully get into like your program and where you are. And then you're going right. to be in Alaska doing GIS stuff. I mean, it's, it's the best.
3: Yes, there's uh, a lot to unpack since that Colorado episode, uh, hang- which that was such a surreal moment because we were walking around with the microphones plugged in to whatever recording device you had inside of a tote bag. Yeah, um, I had it like just we slung holding. over
1: my shoulder and then we we're walking past... Um, I guess they tour were like, groups. yeah, tour groups, just kind of visiting the campus. Yeah. And, Cause
3: it was summertime. And so they were bringing all the prospective people there. And then there's here us two dinguses just wandering around talking into a tote bag about <laughs>
1: fountains and other Not water features. Laminar flow. Yeah. Good memory. Yeah. <laughs> I know these
3: things. Every time I walked by <laughs> that fountain last year, I thought about it. <laughs> it's an engineering
1: marvel. It's a <laughs> it's fascinating wonderful. piece of engineering.
3: It's been documented on a podcast at least <laughs> once. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, shoot, if you had told me even then, it's like, oh, well, we'll be talking in a few years and you'll be graduated and you'll be in a grad program. I would be like, sure, sure. I'll yeah. Be Shooters. I will for sure be at Shooters. <laughs> and I was for a while there in Colorado. It was a step and then it was several steps back. Um, and I, I for plenty of reasons, I, do, I wasn't doing stand up really either. But one of the one of the reasons looking back on it is in Colorado when I was there for a while, you couldn't get full percentage beer at gas stations or Yeah
1: stores, Blue right? Laws. Yeah. When I yeah. first I mean, I came from Nevada. So we would be like <laughs> eighteen years old at maybe like a you know, a keg party or something and <laughs> be like, All right, but it's we're out of booze and we everyone goes home like, you know, <laughs> shooters in Reno is open and we go over to shooters and it's open 24 hours and they're like do you have any kind of id and you're like this is my school library card get in here get, <laughs> get in here <laughs> count it <We're> open. <laughs> it's 4 a.m get in here
3: what are you wearing letterman's jacket it's got this year on it you're good good game son um But yeah, so like I, you know, in Boise, you work at the bar and you go to the gas station, you get some beer. And then in Colorado, I I would have to go to the liquor store to get the beer. And then I was like, well, I'll just get liquor while I'm here. It's like, well, that's not good.
1: No, of that
3: works out. Well, yeah. So eventually, and with with lockdown and quarantine, I think everybody, if they had drinking issues, they probably worsened. Uh, Yeah. And so I think, you know, horrifying times as they are aside, like for personal growth, good times.
1: Everyone was confronted with the opportunity for some growth. Yeah, and so at this stage in it, you know, and and not to make anyone feel worse, if someone's sitting there, one, (laughs) you turned on this podcast player. That's a step. You're doing great. (laughs) Don't be so hard on yourself. It's hard to listen to podcasts. You're already doing great. (laughs) But if someone is like, "Oh, I really thought this was the time I would write my novel, and they didn't," or Getting sober or getting, you know, a better routine for their health or their diet or whatever. You know, a lot of people I'm sure are lamenting that they had all this time and go, where'd the time go? I didn't. I I just did other stuff. But you, it sounds like, took advantage.
3: Fortunately, yeah, I I think a lot of things worked out pretty well. And I, you know, have a good situation of, you know, family support and and financial or otherwise to sort of take care of some things and go back to CSU and finish up the one year I had left. Uh, (laughs) Because
1: you told me about that while we're driving. And if I'm honest, I was like, I wouldn't have guessed that. Not that I didn't (laughs) think you were bright. But, like, I had known so many versions of you. When I met (laughs) you, I'd been doing comedy probably, like, 10 years. So I had met so many, yeah, I don't know, I just started, like, doing this, and I was bartending, and then comedy seemed fun, so I got a job here, and we go out every night, and the staff's cool. And I, I knew that person. And then, yes. so when you were like, oh, yeah, I was like a semester away from getting my degree <laughs> and I did really well on like, you know, the SATs or whatever, like I had a lot of opportunities to go, And my parents at this point are kind of, you know, a little worried that I'm not going to take full advantage. And I remember when I first heard that thinking like. I didn't really think of it from the perspective of your parents enough, but that that would be hard to watch like someone just doing, you know, they're living a life. You've got to go watch people live a life, but in a way where you're like, you have a lot more to offer. You're very Mm -hmm. bright. You're very intelligent. And that kind of shifted for me where I took a vested interest like, damn it, Eric, get it together, (laughs) Oh, I'm
3: glad I had people in my corner from afar shaking their head at me. Just like, come on.
1: Of course. It's just like Goodwill Hunting again. <laughs> How many times is this movie? But like when he's sitting there and he's like, if you're still here in 30 years, I'll, I'll kick your ass myself. Yeah. You know, he's like, yeah. y- you have a gift. And he's like, don't start with that. No, no, no. No, you owe it to me. You you got to get <laughs> out of here. Like I, my yeah. dream every day is to watch. And that was kind of the thing. So like if I were to walk in that comedy club and not see you, I'd be like, Yes.
3: Right. Yeah. I, I've, I've felt that when I've walked back into that club and I haven't seen myself, I'm like, Oh, good job. Me. <laughs> yeah. I, I was back there just like a week or two ago to visit family. And my brother was in town and we went to the bar, which no longer a comedy club. Um, there's pool tables and like liquid laughs games. is no
1: longer a yeah chronicle. no it's
3: he 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 shut that down like immediately in and
1: probably smart probably smart yeah, yeah
3: yeah I think he'd been wanting to do that for a long time yeah like all right here we go I don't need this anymore yeah <laughs> so I he was
1: it always very far. nice love Jeremy uh happy with what he did and and if he brings it back great I have no, I mean so many people have attempted to do comedy and be behind the scenes. A lot of times it's bitter comedians. Like, I could run a better club than this. <laughs> and sometimes it's just business people. And he always struck me as the latter where he's like, yes. but a lot of times those business people don't give a shit about comedy. And he seemed yeah. to at least care. He seemed to at least be like, listen to people like you and say, hey, who's good and not good? Who, who? If Is it okay if I have this person? And if everyone, if like someone scrubbing down tables looks up and goes, oh, please no. I, I can't deal with five shows of listening to those jokes. Yeah, you got to listen to that. And some business people will be like, "Put on earmuffs because I'm bringing them in. They make a lot of money."
3: Yeah, he was he was fifty fifty on that. There was there were times where he would listen, and then other times where it's like, "Oh no no no! <laughs> Why do we have to have Screech come through again? I Shouldn't do that." He God rest away, him. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was gonna,
0: gonna say, but
3: just I mean, like in Good Will <laughs> Hunting, Screech. <came. laughs>
1: The shittiest thing about Screech is, like, what an unformed person. You know, he's famous as a young person. And then he just – someone must have told him, you know, you have a name you could make money doing stand-up. He never gets good at it. He's mean and awful to all the other Mm -hmm. comedians and staff and people that he has to deal with so that his reputation is terrible. Yeah. And then he just dies. He never got (laughs) to have, like, a second act where it was good and he had some (laughs) – you know coming around or something
3: the redemption arc of screech that i mean yeah yeah we didn't have time to develop i guess and shame on the world for not getting to to see that but the only thing i will say about him is that i asked that when he would want the light um to let him know like how much time he had left and his response i'll never forget was i don't need a light um but you will know when i have 10 minutes left when i start my fart material
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) God! God rest him. Screech. That's what's. That's for you, buddy. Yeah, this one's. You'll know when I start my fart material.
3: Yeah, yeah, that was that was a good one. That Um,
1: feels like it is on the wall of every comedy club as a joke. Sort of like you'll know when I'm closing because I've started my fart material.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's like in all sincerity. That's rough.
3: Yeah, that's like one step away from like one of those t-shirts at a rest stop it's like you'll know
1: i'm finished when i start farting or something yeah like, yeah
3: oh, who's man. this for it's for everybody in Pocatello. these are your shirts okay <laughs> uh, but yeah we i don't even know where i was but we went back there and, and went in and some of the same people were like tendon bar and it was the same daytime vibe there but but sadder yeah uh and you know some the i don't want to Put anybody out there by name, but I saw some of those old comics that were there before, and still I was like avoided them because I did a few shows, and they're like, "Come
1: on out afterwards."
3: I'm like, oh boy, I don't want to.
1: <laughs> I know the it, lifestyle of it, and you like what you just mentioned going into a comedy club during the day can be kind of fun sometimes because you see a you see the bartender there. And they're wearing like reading glasses and they have their act together and they're doing inventory on like that week's shipment of booze or something. And you're like, oh, they're not always just slipping shots to people and laughing and being – part of it's all an act. You're you're stepping into an entertainment center and then when you see people like, no, no, I have to live a life. I mean I pay <laughs> I pay bills and things. still have to do things. So. Yeah, and that can be really fun to just get a different glimpse of it of like – and to anyone that doesn't do comedy, they're like, is it one of those places in like a strip mall? And you're like, eh, it's hard to explain. If you love comedy, to you it's not that. It's where, an insert any name from your childhood, came through here. Like that person was in this building oh, yeah. being funny. What? Whoa, they walked through these doors? Yeah, yeah. And they went and sat in that closet, which we call a green room. And then <laughs> they walked around behind this curtain and stepped <laughs> out on They sat stage.
3: on this air hockey table? <laughs> Yeah. Ah. just just like us (laughs) yeah i it speaks to something you said a little bit earlier though of just like the lifestyle of being in the comedy scene quote unquote wherever you are but especially in a place like boise where it's so small and you know doing its own thing and the the stakes are very low you know but you know i was like 22 when i started working there and i was like this is the greatest thing ever we're doing it yeah like we're out I remember the first time somebody recognized me at like a gas station or something. I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is it. I'm going to shoot. I'm headlining shooters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was fun for a long time. Uh, yeah. And then and then working, managing, and doing the business side of comedy will make you hate it very quickly. Uh, yeah.
1: Or so, so just doing... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. You no, go ahead. no, no way. I've invited ah. you to speak here for heaven's sake. <laughs>
3: Oh, now I don't even remember, but <laughs> that's actually true. I forget what I was saying. Okay. Uh,
1: well, I was going to interject with even if you're having fun and going to shooters and maybe there's this voice in the back of your head that is like, would my life and or intelligence or intellect be better served doing something else potentially? And it can, can feel a little disingenuous to this thing that you love, but you're like- I don't know. Maybe if I were years from now, like in a graduate program, you know, I, I would feel like I was applying, not to call them gifts, but something that I feel certain I can max out. You know, comedy yeah. never feels like that. It's like a gas pedal that's just made of air. You never feel like, <laughs> oh, I hit, that's that's it, I tapped it out. It just feels like the audience reacts differently, but you're like, I don't know, I feel like I was at my best three months ago or three years ago or whenever. Or ideally, it's always ahead of you. Oh, I'll get a little better. This I can keep pushing this gas pedal down, but there's so many factors to it. Whereas, you know, when you can feel like, oh, I can go and do this. And whatever that is to someone, that it, I can do surgery on humans and save their lives or animals or whatever it is. Like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that would make me feel better long-term. And then you picture yourself sitting there and seeing that 50-year-old counting tips, getting ready to go to shooters. <laughs> and you picture a person applying a shot to like a wounded elk that they've tranquilized and you're like sweet this elk's gonna wake up and be healthy again you have to make a decision some people are like give me the shooters guy 20 times out of 20 (laughs) but if you're like yeah maybe this other version makes more sense
3: yeah yeah i definitely felt that the whole time of of like wow i should be doing something else this I could be doing more than this, but. It's hard to
1: justify I, that you're doing the most of something else when you're in that comedy club world because it involves like waking up at 1 p.m. after yeah. a night of being out late. And you're like, okay, there there is no way this is maximum greatness. I can do <laughs> <laughs> like Even though last night was so fun. And then you look back and you're like, I don't even really remember no. All these nights. I, I, never, them,
3: I never woke up after a night at the comedy club feeling like maximum greatness. Let me tell you, <laughs> that never <laughs> that never once crossed my mind.
1: It's <laughs> a unique existence for sure. And people that yeah. have not experienced that are proud, they may just be like, that's so gross. What are you doing? But there's a freedom in it that is kind of necessary. You know, like you're yeah. a child and you're always told what to do. And I don't know how to explain it other than like, It's just a life with childlike borders or lack thereof where you're just open to be like, yeah, that was a real stupid thing to do for months or years. (laughs) And (laughs) hopefully you leave it. For the better part of a decade. But here (laughs) we
3: are. (laughs) but it is just so fun when you're doing it and it's like i because i remember when i was like 23 i was like this is what i'm going to be doing this is the only thing i can do comedy is life like yeah and i think you can get caught up in that a little bit because it is really freeing to be able to you know especially if you're getting shows and you're you're doing well and you're like oh nothing's gonna ever compete with this like this is singular and unique but it's like you know I could be making people laugh, but also be doing other things that are productive and enriching, and are not involving a half a bottle of Rumple Mints, um, <laughs> you know, at yeah. any given time. But
1: <laughs> and so for your program, like before, and maybe before we get fully into that, because now you can say, and I would imagine a lot of the conversations with people your age are involving the future of the climate, the planet's health how you can impact that or, you know, I'd I'd like to be at shooters, but I really feel guilty if I didn't at least attempt to be helpful and do this. And so you, you reach this point where you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to make this move. And it's hard. You're entrenched in that shooter's world to be like, you're getting the texts and the calls. So like 9 PM good. And you have to be like, just turn your phone off or away. (laughs) Be Like I'm going to crack open this book And then a week, two weeks, whatever, however long it takes where you're suddenly developing new habits. You know, you can, was there some part of this where like you could see your old self kind of reemerging? It's like an old windshield on a car where you like have to (laughs) rub the hell out of it. But then pretty soon you start seeing through to the dashboard. Like I used to drive in there oh shit you know you're like
2: pretty soon all that (laughs) grime
1: starts coming off and you're like this car still runs that seats you know nice oh great (laughs) we had some good times in this thing i can't believe it's roadworthy (laughs) (laughs) because to get there to be in the old car you're a kid in boise going to high school going to elementary school are you a lifetime like we born and raised there
3: I was not born there, but I grew up there. I was born in Virginia, but we moved when I was like one to Boise. So, you know, mm-hmm. just count it as, yeah. as, as that
1: pretty much. Yeah, um, you can be counted as a local <laughs> one-year-old. Like, whatever, man. You probably already spoke with a Virginia accent. <laughs> That's how they're going to find me. That's how they're going to find me.
3: Damn, Like Kaczynski. They're
1: going to know. Oh, yeah, yeah. The forensic linguistics. Yeah, exactly. So um, you're one year old and up in Idaho, and the, you and your brother? Yeah. Mom yep. and dad. Just live in like kind of standard nuclear family. You're doing well in high school? Let me guess. Let me let me for oh, like boy. FBI profile <laughs> you. You're like you're doing well in school, but you know gauge or base everything off of that like a lot of your it's almost like a secret sometimes where you're like ah guys yeah we so and so that teacher she's a bitch but then you might sneak back <laughs> later and be like I love you and like write, <laughs> write her like a long letter <laughs> to why she impacted your life and so you have a good relationship with the teachers and you do well in school, but you're not like a kiss-assy type. You're not like a schoolboy, which is so weird that was like a negative term ever. Right? But, oh, you
3: were invested in learning and <laughs> what you were there for. What a, yeah. What a dick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it makes it seem like you're wearing like a bow tie and carrying a briefcase and like – And nothing wrong with that. If you're doing yeah, that and being a schoolboy, fine. But you're <laughs> But you're also fitting in with like the gamut the metal shop kids the jock kids the metal head kids the hip-hop kids you're kind of like
3: oh it was it was boise idaho there weren't a lot of hip-hop there heads. wasn't like was. a breakout
1: kind of like we're really into eminem around here yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah i'm sure there was that there was probably like oh rhyme singers dude you checked out that like conscious hip-hop dude. oh yeah
1: yeah the minneapolis kind of a uh, doom tree yeah. I feel yep. like that would funnel its way down for whatever reason through all white territories. It did. Oh, it okay. Did. okay. It 100% did. <laughs> you like atmosphere, bro? And nothing against any of those groups. I'm just saying they really resonated with white people in rural areas. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, you're, you're fitting in all these groups and, you're, and maybe that, as you start to graduate, starts to cloud you up a little because you're kind of like, some of your friends are saying, well, yeah, we're in physics together. I'm going to this school and I'm going to study this. You're kind of like, I could stay here and like work on a farm. That seems fun. I might go backpack through Europe. I might go to school. My parents want me to go to school. You end up in school, but you're kind of like, am I just doing this because I was expected to? Thus the pulling out of it. That's my guess. How far off was I or am I?
3: You're not too far off on, on a lot of it. I, I think especially like, the well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Let's let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Um I think one thing that's in, I so I skipped a grade when I was younger. I skipped, like, second grade. Um, Whoa. Yeah, I know, right? Radical. <laughs> they were trying to skip me from second to fifth,
1: if I remember correctly. What were you doing? Like, speaking Latin? Were you doing physics? I, I won,
3: Well, one story that my, my mother loves to tell is that the kindergarten teacher, had a le- they would, like, read some sort of, like, a question book, and there would be the questions, and the answers would be written upside down below it. And like five year old me is sitting there reading the answers upside down and backwards and Whoa. just answering everything. So like, well, this one seems interesting. Let's Yeah, let's see what he does. Fortunately, they only let me skip one because I was a pretty small, late developing child, anyways. You
1: don't want to graduate college with no pubes. It just No, you don't. No pubes, rough. no friends. Yeah. They go you know, and
3: nothing against if you're not growing boobs in high school. That's not where I thought this podcast was going. Right. But no, here,
1: you no. are. Oh, I mean, I was a late bloomer as well. So I have a, a kinship with people that uh, were scared of taking showers without a bathing suit and things of this yeah. nature. Yeah. Ted and you Kaczynski. You sports. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in like seventh grade, we show up with our gym bags. We've got T-shirts that we had to pay for to get our first <laughs> initial comma last name written on so mine's expensive i had to get them ironed on yeah, that's at a, a lot store. of letters that's a lot of letters <laughs> Why they didn't just have a kit that we could figure out with an iron at home i don't know but we had to go to a place and they like press it down <laughs> so they're like fuzzy it's not like screen printing yeah. they stick out they're on the shirt we all have them. they had to be a certain color scheme with like blue and green and we're all sitting there cross-legged with our duffel bags that and mine yes had Swimming trunks with the mesh underpants in it. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. the guy's like walking around like a tough guy jock in his jogging suit. And he's like, okay, in this class, there are showers you may have noticed when you're changing at your locker. After each class, you are expected to shower. Now you can wear a bathing suit. (laughs) And then he said something so negative, like basically like, if you're an absolute coward. (laughs) So people are like bristling, not me. He's like, but then those of you who don't might end up making fun of those of you who do. And I remember several of my friends just looking over at me being like, that's exactly right. (laughs) That was was going to happen, yeah. I was like, ah, (laughs) fellas, come on, you're my pals. And then the craziest thing, no one showered. Zero people showered the entire school year in those showers. No one ever touched the knobs (laughs) to turn them on.
3: No, nobody wants to be near those things. They're terrifying. <laughs> I remember I, I grew up playing hockey, and, and hockey is one of the smelliest of the sports. Yeah. Uh, something about all that ice and the water and the cold, and when it gets high, it's, it's just just terrible. And yeah, I, I lived remember-
1: with a hockey kid in Colorado, and that bag was
3: it's foul oh yeah yeah those things are upsetting yeah uh, i was like thinking about bringing mine back out here and i was like i'm probably not going to be allowed on the flight with this and for no, no reason nor should you uh, yeah, no exactly leave it at home kid you're not making the shell it's not happening <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i remember i was at a hockey camp somewhere in in british columbia near the top of idaho up there and it was like a week-long thing and i was probably like 12 or 13 i just didn't shower the whole time i was there i was like <laughs> i'm not Doing that.
1: Lots of older kids here. I don't smell myself. I'm fine. Cause you were, yeah, you'd like skipped up, but you're but you're playing at a level where you're in this camp. So you're you're decent. You're holding your own.
3: Yeah, I was I was good. I was really good at sports. Um back back in the day. I was still tiny, but like I was really good at them and stuff. So I had a lot of identity with that. I would Mm -hmm. play sports real hard all the time. And then some people knew that I had skipped a grade, and I was like going. I was I was this kid that like got, went to the junior high from the high school for math and then went to the high school from the junior high for math. And so like people knew who I was and they're like, "Ah, he's the smart kid. <laughs> Ugh, I don't like him. Look <laughs> at him. And so you, you, when you're a kid, you don't want that. You just want to no. like fit in. And so I think most of my energy was devoted to getting good grades by doing the least amount of anything possible, like pretty aggressively to where i was like proud of like, i don't study i don't do this i don't yeah i don't read and then i would just turn in tests and get very good grades and everybody's like i hate this kid so much but it's, I think it's I, an
1: unhatable I, or it's an un- un- impossible situation for you because like it takes a teacher coming over and being like i know why you're doing this mm-hmm. you can try you're going to be hated the same amount yeah. so you acing these tests whether you're acting cool or not cool it doesn't matter. Like, the- fun
3: fact, you're a high school kid. You're not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody needed to just tell me that. Uh,
1: Did you, know, you think I, you were like skating by? Like, people think I'm pretty cool. Yeah, I was just, hey, guys, am I, am I right here?
3: I'm, I'm in all AP classes, but I'm still one of you. I'm still, <laughs> still cool. <laughs> and I don't know. I think some of that maybe took to college a little bit, or like when it was time where it's like, all right, this isn't high school. It's like you're trying to actually learn things here and like this is important for things you want to do later like me at 17 wasn't ready for that at all yeah it was like all right i can go drink and do drugs in colorado and run around and that's what i did for a few years um
1: did you feel was- like a homeschool kid because they always are like the amish do the rumspringer thing where like get out there and just go balls to the wall like when you were when you were in high school were you getting invited to parties where there would be illegal narcotics and <laughs> alcohol for underage kids and you'd be like not on my watch citizens uh, no,
3: no i wasn't like that i i didn't get really invited to a lot of them maybe a couple here and there mm-hmm. but i was i was a pretty good kid i didn't get into get into trouble or if i did it so was what just
1: really... what sprung you out of it so i lived in the engineering dorms as a freshman and it was miserable right and they were just <laughs> such Nerds, and that sounds so terrible, but like nerds in a way were like, My friends in high school are nerds, and they were fun. Like, there were these kids, I had just had it after a month or two, and I was like, Let's go do something. And I had a fake ID, and so I went and bought an 18 pack of beer. And there were five of us, me and four other people, so that's not nearly enough beer. And we go in this alley, and we're like, Let's just drink all these beers, and then we'll go to a party, and we'll be kind of loosened up, and they'll just have booze for us it's college (laughs) and all four of them started vomiting so uncontrollably they all had to go back to the dorms after this is after like two beers each and i was (laughs) like i hate college (laughs) (laughs) this is is the opposite
3: of what i wanted
1: (laughs) it was so terrible i just was so bummed out by it but you in my mind you were more like me like i have an idaho kid but you might have been closer to those guys if you're honest we're like they they were just trying to like they had never – and I was this bad kid, this bad engineering kid. Like <laughs> I got a fake ID and they're like, oh, yeah. We and I I never saw them again in college, but I would bet I would run into them at a bar and they'd be having drinks with a friend and they just wouldn't make eye contact with yeah. me because they didn't want their cover blown. And I probably would have been like, I know the real you, but maybe never have like – obviously, I wouldn't have said it. But in my head, yeah, like you don't want to run into someone like that because they know <clears> – <throat> you weren't always cool. You didn't always know different types of beer. You didn't always, (laughs) you weren't always able to hold down two or three beers. Yeah. -hmm. And so like getting out there and just the first time you go to a party and someone's like, Eric, you want a beer? And you're like, oh yeah, they don't know me. They don't know I'm smart kid from Boise. Yeah, I'd love one, dude.
2: And there you are,
1: there's new you. Like you just got handed a beer and they didn't even think twice about it. They didn't know that you just like, quietly passed a little bit of like a fib onto them
3: right yeah i think there was some of that for sure uh my brother was out there at the time he was like a senior at at csu also and so i had like him and his friends so i felt kind of like i like i i had drank like by that point and like I had a good older brother. He made sure that I knew how to drink and, you know, taught the rules to beer pong too and whatnot. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So you yeah. weren't, you you were. No, I
3: wasn't like sheltered going into it. Like I, I, I could drink, you know, that was Did you just want to like,
1: what was it then that like you wanted to just let your hair down? Were you, did you read a lot? We forget, like, I think when we talk to kids, we forget that like they're being educated, but they're also on their own time. They might be reading like the Beats or, you know, Kerouac stuff or things where like, getting out there and living a little bit and doing, yeah, I wasn't doing that. You weren't doing that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I wasn't big on reading. I think if I remember freshman year, uh, year correctly, it was a lot of NHL 2009 on the Xbox ah. and McCormick's vodka. Yeah. Summit dorm. Uh, oh boy, <laughs> there was, there was a lot of that. I mean, I don't know at that time, especially too. I think it was like going out to concerts and, you know, getting into like some drugs here and there and, and mm. doing that sort of thing. And I had started engineering also and quickly hated it and had like an honors philosophy course with a guy by the name of Bernie Rollin, who's like a Colorado State legend. He just retired and he's this like, so he's he's a philosopher and he's from New York and he's this old Jewish New Yorker who looks like Gimli from Lord of the Rings. Just oh, this nice. little huge beard just jacked up, he'd work out with the football players. <laughs> and what he did was he was like an applied ethicist in like farm animal welfare. Huh. And so he would like he had co-authored a lot of like, you know, farm animal welfare laws and you know, I would listen to him talk about how he would go visit the Idaho like Cattlemen's Association, which you know this type like uh, of, they're not looking for philosophy. Yeah, uh, necessarily. And he would just basically talk about how he went and talked to these cowboys and used philosophy and used maybe their own religious leanings or their own general conceptions of what it is to be a good person in the scripture and just take that and be like, so you should be a shepherd to these animals, you should treat them well. And he would talk, I think one phrase I remember was like intellectual judo of just let somebody talk at you and put all their stuff out there and just kind of nudge them. Just be like, okay, well, I'll give you this and then what about this?
0: Yeah,
1: and I remember
3: being like 18 and being blown away by that, and being like, "Whoa, you can do that!" <laughs> like, <laughs> never mind this four sequels. I don't care. I do not care. <laughs> I want to do this. I want to. So South Park type stuff is good. Okay, great. Like, <laughs> I don't know. He liked comedy and would talk about comedy in his class, and then that got me out of wanting to do like that. I should be an engineer because I took calculus when I was 13. Like, yeah,
1: so I, it took that- me
3: out of that, like, this is what you should be doing because you're smart and you should do this because you'll make money and it will be good, which are all fair. Like, you wouldn't want to encourage your bright son to go work at a dive bar in Boise and and do comedy. Uh, Right. You know, so I think it was a lot of that of just like, I don't need to do this,
1: whatever. (laughs) The search, though, like hearing that, that he... There was, there's like, you know, that's the first time you've talked about like a sort of, oh, you know, hearing a signal that was like, yeah, that, that resonated with me because everyone needs that. That's, that's a thing you would hope everyone in life could get at some point, which is just whatever it is. And you hope it's not like, you know what, I am going to become a Nazi, but instead (laughs) that it's more. (laughs) <laughs> like found my calling. I found this great YouTube channel and it's got, all, it <laughs> makes up great points, but instead something that is just resonating with someone in a way where it's like, yeah, yeah. All these little switches that were in me, a number of them just got switched on where I could just set down what I'm doing and be like, I need to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. It's just like a moth seeing a light flip on. You're just kind of in the, you're having fun in the darkness. You're going to shooters. It's fun. <laughs> you see Lots this of light? darkness. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's take a, a brief break because we now we've got into, like, stage two where you're heading forward, going toward that light as a moth. And uh, <laughs> take a little break and come back and talk about that. Sounds good. Well, come back next week for part two of that chat. And it'll probably go up on Monday. This one's going out a little later in the week. We're still kind of finding our bearings. And by that, I mean me and Dan, my trusty sidekick, assistant, helper engineer, um, Wizard of Oz, however you want to describe it. He, he puts the show together, compiles it out of the goodness of his heart in Australia. So we have to battle time zone differences and things like that. And that's where Patreon is helpful because if we get to a certain number of subscribers, we can start giving Dan a little bit of money. And that would be great because technology, web hosting, music, beer – etc., although there's less beer these days because we're doing so many Zoom chats, but all of the things make a podcast, uh, cost a little bit of money, and so if you'd like to uh, help alleviate some of those things, Patreon is the way to do it. Um, you may have noticed that the uh, the pandemic wasn't the best for the live arts, so Patreon's also very helpful if you made a killing during all of that. Maybe you own some telecommunication company or something. A little bit of a kick in toward Patreon will help your favorite, uh, or just people you know, not your favorites necessarily, but people who who create things for you uh, and hopefully get back to doing live shows, which I will be doing from time to time, hopefully. Uh, I'm doing the Acme Comedy Company's 30th anniversary shows. Uh, I'm doing... A, show or a set on friday november 5th at 7 p.m that's at acme comedy company you can go to david for more information if you want to see uh images from guests and things like that especially years past you can go to thespacecave.com and that's a great place to email if you have suggestions for beer or guests or topics or any of the above anything i'm not thinking of That's a great place to do that on the contact page. You can also see pictures. But there are uh, more pictures going up every day on the Instagram account for the show as well, which is Space Cave Podcast on Instagram. I know I've been talking about that for a long time. I'm finally getting to it. And uh, hopefully, for those of you who are on Instagram, you'll enjoy that because the website only usually has a featured image. But sometimes I took, you know, multiple images and those – For the most part, we'll be on Instagram, so you can swipe through and see some of the uh, the behind-the-scenes things. I think that's it. Excited for you to hear part two with Eric and more of the chat with Daniel. So those of you who are Patreon people, for only $2, you can hear that. Two bucks a month, less than a cup of coffee. Yeah, and I can take some speech lessons. Less than a cup of coffee. Good heavens. Uh, You can help the show. And if you don't want to, that's fine. I'm happy to do the show. I like doing it. I enjoy the conversations. Maybe you could help spread the word. That's a way for you to feel like you're uh, contributing to the show in just the smallest way. If you like it and you meet someone you're like, you know what? I think this person might like Space Cave. Great. Send them on over. Uh, I think we've got a good little uh, community here at Space Cave. Everyone I've met who listens to the show is always someone that I feel uh, immediately Is not a jerk. I can't say, you know, oh, I feel like we're kindred spirits or we're soulmates or anything. That's crazy. This would be a community of psychopaths if we did that. But I feel like when I meet people like, oh, listen to the show, I'm like, you seem nice. And I like that. I'd like to keep it that way. So we'll try to to keep having civil conversations with educated people like Eric, um, who's a fascinating fellow, funny, kind, all the things uh, we're hoping to to illuminate here in the Space Cave. A lot of negativity and focus on things other than that out in the world. I have a project called Big Nothingness. It took me the duration of the pandemic to make. I feel like it was very thoughtfully created. A lot of artists and um, animators helped, uh, like Gene Hospot, who listens to this show. And uh, it there have been more think pieces written about uh, a, a Netflix comedy special that I won't name. because We don't need to bring in negativity, but I'm sure you're familiar with it. There have been more negative think pieces written about that than there have been people in total who have watched Big Nothingness. And I think um, maybe that ties into the whole, maybe that's why there are a lot of negative things in this world. We seem to thrive on them. So if you're looking for something to take your mind off things, a little bit of a break, Uh, check out Big Nothingness. It's free on YouTube and you can purchase it on Vimeo and that way you don't have to watch ads or see a little logo down in the corner. Go to davidhunsberger.com. It'll take you right to the place where you can buy it on Vimeo and I would certainly appreciate it if you watch it. And I, I think you'd like it. I'm proud of it. I almost never say that. I think it's pretty good. So I hope you like it. Okay, let's get out of here. Come back next week for part two. Eric Lyons, check out that Daniel chat. Email me if you have some thoughts. It's been a while since we were up and running. I feel like this will get us going consistently. I can't make 100% promises or certainties, but I feel good that we're back to doing it. I've got the Space Cave recording studio area finally back in order. I had to rebuild the whole thing. I think when you see the photos, again, that Space Cave Instagram, you'll be like, "Whoa, whoa, it does look way different. So let's do this. Let's kick back into gear. If you haven't listened in a long time, maybe you saw the feed pop up. You're like, ooh, new one. Great. That means maybe you were caught up or you disappeared from it. If you have been listening right along because you got in late, this is probably great timing. because so maybe you're just getting caught up. Now the new ones take off. Look at you, life going your way. So wherever you are in between there, happy you're back listening to the Space Cave. I've certainly rambled way too long. Let's get out of here. This is a song called Sugar by Beach Fossils. It's off an album called Somersault. I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy your week. Stay positive. Be nice to people. Thanks for stopping by the Space Camp. One, two, three. <laughs>